Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 52. Our skill topic for the week is engraving, one of those classic honorable skills. Tanda, what skill class is engraving? I think uh, engraving is a Times Roman 7 point one hmm. uh, yeah okay uh, surprised about the point one but the new times seven sounded right i threw that in there at the last minute yeah yeah all right well um tom what research did you do on engraving can you do decimal points with roman numerals uh that's a good question I've never seen anybody put a decimal point in there. Or maybe a comma like they do in weird countries. I think I read something about some kind of uh, fractional Roman numeral. I have to look that up. Tom can look it up. Tom's probably already looked it up. Uh, I'm already on it. I'm already, I am already typed it in. Yeah, I'm already t- I don't know why I even ask questions anymore. My, Microsoft used to uh, interview a lot where I went to college. And they would ask weird questions. And they, one of them would be like, you know, what is negative... 2.7 in binary. We're only 60 seconds into the show. We're already derailed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Tom, did you do any research on the actual skill topic and not on the, the, the rating? Engraving? I mean, it's a morbid topic. I don't want to talk about any kind of graving, really. But Entombing seems uh, like yeah, slightly better some, than engraving because there's not so much dirt on involved. But, entombing. Yeah. <sighs> Tell me you didn't look up... Did you, did you look up... Grave digging? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, in engraving. When you bury your own family, engraving. <laughs> that, that. What? I don't know what you're talking are, about. Are you crossing engraving with incest? What are you talking about, Tom? <laughs> yeah, it's like digging your own grave. Yeah, you dig your own grave. Engraving. That's what it means. <sighs> I'm sorry. You're right, Tanda. Or, Thank or, you well, for bailing or, me When out. you dig your a grave for a close relative. Right. Yeah, engraving. Right. I, 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 you dig your own grave. That's like gravesturbation or something. Oh my god! Right. It's like it's like suicidal thoughts about other people. Tanda, did did yeah. you do any research no, on I the top? Let me talk about something. I want to talk about something. It's not. It's obviously not research. But do you know what a rose engine is? Yes. yes. Very cool. All right, moving on. Tanda, what do you got? Well, no. I, how much did you research then? Oh, none. I just want to know if you knew what they were. Yeah, no, those those are cool tools for engraving. There, I I was I was looking them up right before the show, and and literally as the show was starting, and they're very complicated. They're all mechanical, and I don't know how to describe them to anybody. I think um, who was it? Um, somebody in the maker community. I think it was Marsh Wildman. Yeah. Do you know Do you know Marshes? I talk to Marsh often. I think that he took a class or something, like some museum or some place had like an open thing where you could go and and you know see one in action and make your own thing. It was like a workshop where you could go and yeah. I think I think it was him. Somebody I know in the maker community. But I think it was Marsh. That's cool. Yeah. My my local machinist group. Someone owns one. You know, somewhere in Connecticut. I haven't been to his house. He showed me videos at one of the meetups I went to, but this was right before COVID, so I haven't been back. But it is, I, I know we're not describing it to anybody else, but look up Rose Engine. It is such a beautiful machine, and it and it can engrave a pattern with cams. That's, I mean, the, it's, it's a lathe, it's a Rose Engine lathe, uh, but the headstock can, like, pivot back and forth. It can also pivot forward and back, and the tool 
can be on, you know, the cross slide, so to speak. It can also be on the end. It can be, it's super cool. Yeah, there's some good videos on them. It is probably one of the most complex mechanical machines you can get. Like, it has the most moving parts. I, I, like, the, the the gizmosity level is like 4,000. Oh, it's through the roof. Yeah, it, it's like... Yeah, it's hard to describe without seeing it. So, so anyway, have you been listening to the Fits All podcast again? Yes, <laughs> yes. We're stealing their hashtags. Sure, why not? Tanda, did you do any research on engraving? Uh, the research I did was on uh, on hobo nickels, which are like a commonly engraved something, and it was uh, you know most people have probably heard of them or or seen them. But the uh, Indian head or buffalo nickel came out in 1913, and I think it was minted until 1938. But it was just a really good piece to carve on because the Indian head was had a lot of relief and took up a lot of the coin, as did the buffalo on the back. So it was like, and they were cheap. They were made out of, you know, like non-pricey metal and, and so forth, non-precious metal. Were they a nickel? And so there were a lot of designs. Yeah, I mean, at the store, they'd cost you a nickel okay. back in the day. Do they still cost a nickel? And there were just a few interesting things about some of the some of the designs and stuff. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was, I mean, in addition to being called hobo nickels, they were also called transformed bum nickels. So I'd heard the expression, giving you a bum nickel. And I'm not sure if that, you know, is a, you know, the same thing, means the same thing. Uh, trench art. And prisoner nickels were some other names for them. But they, there were a few, also there were a few artists back in the day that were well known. And one of them was, uh, was Bo, George Washington, but his nickname was Bo. And the other one that I thought was funny of some of these artists that they've kind of given nicknames to, but they don't really know what their names were because there were a lot of varied artists. But one of the better known of these, his name was Peanut Ear. And I'm not sure if that's just because the ears that he carved were, uh, were looked like peanuts. But it, but there were kind of common characteristics as well. Usually they added an ear, which you didn't see because the Indian head had hair over it. Often had a derby or a hat. And then they would put like a, sometimes they'd put a cigar or a cigarette or something. So there were common ways to transform it. There's just a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff out there. And it just became a piece of art that's highly collectible now. And it was just something that, you know, started out with people just being creative and finding a media that was readily available, picking up some old files or nails or something to use as chisels and going at it that then later became, you know, it's kind of a mechanical graffiti almost. It's sort of the same sort of street art as graffiti. And there's a lot to read about it. But those were some, you know, interesting little tidbits that I found. That's pretty cool. Tom? Mm Mm-hmm. That's that's what actual research is like. Just just so you know, for next week. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, doing the same research she just did <clears throat> while she was talking. That doesn't count, that. Tom. That doesn't count. You you got to do it before uh, she does it. I let's should we vote on that? Whether it counts there's, or not? There's no voting. You're supposed to do your I, own research. I feel like I feel like there should be a vote. <sighs> You're the only one voting, Tom. So obviously, uh, it's, it's two to one against. Um, <clears throat> That was, uh, Tiana, the only thing I found a little suspect is that a president was nicknamed Bo for carving nickels. I don't, I don't really buy that. His, his name was George Washington Bo Hughes. 
So he was George Washington Hughes, not just oh, George oh, Washington. Okay. That was his cousin. Okay. He was taught by Bertram, Bertram Weigand, known as Bert. There was no Ernie. I, I think you're making all these names up. This this doesn't really sound. Uh, we're we're going to move on to to my research, which is pretty much like straightforward. I looked up the history of engraving. Like when 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 did engraving start? You know, when was it invented? And probably not true, but this is what I found. Uh, engraving originated independently in the Rhine Valley in Germany and in northern Italy in the middle of the 15th century. And it was developed at first by German goldsmiths that are only known by their initials and pseudonyms now. The first being Master ES and the second being the Master of Playing Cards. Imagine if that was your handle. You signed all your stuff, the Master of Playing Cards. That guy, however, his name was Martin Shanguar. And uh, he was the first engraver to be known to not only be a goldsmith, but also a painter. And he painted The Temptation of St. Anthony in 1470. And uh, it was unprecedented in its sophisticated use of medium to, ex to achieve a sense of form and surface texture. That sounds like a total commercial for this guy. Anyway, in Italy, uh, engraving grew out of the goldsmith's art, but also Niello artists, which if you're not familiar with Niello, it is when you engrave usually silver, and then you fill in some of the negative space with this material that comes off as almost like a gunmetal black, but it is made up of uh, several different metals, and it has this really beautiful polished sheen. I have some yellow. I have a bracelet that's been handed down through the family. But it's a type of decorative metalwork, basically. It's sort of like enameling, but a little more complicated. And it was practiced by the Florentine goldsmith, nihilist Masso Finigiera. Major Italian painters adopted engraving with a little more enthusiasm than their German counterparts. Uh, and before the 15th century had passed, important engravings had been made by two great Italian painters, Andrea Montenega and Antonio Poyoyoyo. That's That's exactly how you say that name. Anyway, Googling that. That's exactly how you say that name. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. The only other thing of note was by the 16th century, uh, engraving had been indoctrinated into the reproductive role of paintings. And there was an engraving technique that was made by uh, Marcantiano Remandi, mainly known for his copies of Raphael's paintings. So he, he made engravings to copy famous Raphael's. So so there you have it. I, I fact-checked that while you were talking, and none of it was true. Yes. How is engraving not older than the 14th century, 15th century, would you say? I think this was engraving on metal. I think that prior to that, okay. like stone engraving and... I mean, back in the Bronze Age, weren't there, right. like, coins that were engraved? Right. I did start this off by saying it's probably not true. Oh, I heard that part. That's why I started Googling every word you said. Uh, for a full transcript, please go to infinitecraftsman.com. But yeah, Roman coins was the first thing I looked up, and how do you make Roman coins? And I suppose you could carve them out of something else and stamp them. And they were stamped, but... Weren't, weren't, weren't they minted? Were they actually coined? I thought they were minted. Were they coined? Yeah. I mean, did they... But they would have had... Even if they were coined, they would have had to make the tool. You would, 
engrave the tool. Yeah. But would have, wouldn't the tool have been carved instead of engraved? What's the difference between carving and engraving? Oh, I also Googled oh. that. You ask. Carving is in wood. Mm, I don't, I don't think so. If you look up engraving. You can carve in stone. In some dictionaries, yep. it will say carving, carving. a base yeah. relief in, you know, usually a, you know, a shallow relief. But they use the word carving to describe engraving, which I thought I was mean, funny. It, yeah. it could have been a carving, relief with confidence. It didn't have to be shallow. Carving is the act of using tools to shape something, something from a material by scraping away portions of that material. They're basically the same thing. Only when you think of engraving, you think of teeny tiny carvings. That's a terrible description. You could say that about working with clay. That's carving. I think you, I think engraving, at least in my mind and the way it typically gets used, usually implies something 2D and shallow. You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't engrave a, a, the top of a walking stick into a, into a head, into a figure. Not with that attitude, you wouldn't. (laughs) I agree, Tom. For once, I agree. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Tanda prefaced that she had a deal that wasn't a deal, which I can't wait to hear. What do you got, Tanda? Well, it was a, I, I'm going to call it a near bargain. I'm going to call this a near bargain because I saw this anvil that was in like excellent condition. This was a Peter Wright anvil from like the 1840s and it, the edges were still like crisp. And so I sent a text to the guy and asked, you know, if he would take, I, I took a little off of what his asking price was and asked if he would take it if I came right away. And then after a little while, he got back to me, we, um, went back and forth. And then he texted me, I'm sorry, the Hardwood Museum just bought it. And so I texted him back, no worries. Looks like they got a really good specimen. Thanks for the quick reply. And, you know, that would, that would have been, that would have made me feel bad if I just knew I didn't get it. But then he texted me back and said, the blacksmith that they used to evaluate the items rated it as a 10 for an anvil that age for the 1840s. Wow. Okay. So what was the price? $700. And how big oh. was it? 86 pounds. That's pretty small for 700. It wasn't like a super good deal, but it was in really good shape. And it was like from a known yeah. manufacturer and it's, you know, the kind of classic London London pattern anvil. Mm. I mean, if it was double awesome, the weight. Though. I know I know PJ you would have you would only paid like $25 for it, but it I, actually I paid less than that for an anvil in my deal. I I've I've got I I got an anvil. I, I did an anvil? Yeah, I didn't pay anywhere miss- near that much. Is, is it mint? It, it was a little rusty, but it was pretty crisp. I got to admit, you know, it was pretty sharp. Did you post it? No, I did a story about it, oh. but you know, I know you don't watch my stories, Tom, so that's okay. You no, never. I, yeah, I don't even follow you anymore. You probably so. didn't recognize it because it's it's blue now. It's not blue. <laughs> I didn't do anything to it. It's still in its original condition. I, I haven't had time. I I basically talked about it and then and then I I I didn't do. It. I put it in a container. So I went on Saturday to the third and final Jacktown event of the year, their fall event, which I mistakenly I didn't think there was going to be more tractor pull stuff, but but there was more tractor pull stuff and there was more hit miss engines. 
And there was a steam-powered steamroller there. If you watch my stories, hmm. there was like a steamroller that had to weigh more than my entire house that was, in order to steer the thing, this, this woman that looked like she was 5,000 years old in a conductor's outfit was turning this wheel like, okay, think of like one of those machinist wheels for a lathe that's got like a handle sticking out and you got to spin mm-hmm. it to do fine adjustments. I'm watching her on this thing, which is going like roughly, let's say, a half a mile per hour. Like it was not moving very fast. She is spinning this wheel like 40,000 revolutions to turn it like a half inch to the left. Yeah. Like I thought like it, yeah. it, it looked to me like her spinning the wheel was actually making it go forward. That's how fast she was spinning the thing. And I'm like, man, that's this is like she's got to get tired. A lot of the yeah, a lot of those old tractors had like a like a hub, like a little drum or something that wound up like a chain in one direction or the other, and you yes. had to spin mm-hmm. it a lot to have enough leverage because you were, yeah. you know, like a pulley system and you would just like crank like crazy and move it a little tiny bit. There was a massive I'm guessing blacksmith chain that was going from the steamroller, like the big barrel in the front, somewhere into the middle of underneath where this woman was standing, and and it you know and it went out and then went to the other side of the axle for the steamroller for the the roller part, and I'm like, there's no way that's how they're steering this thing with the chain. What if the chain breaks? <laughs> it's only going a half mile an hour yeah then then you have to jump down run to the store get a new chain and run back before it makes it 10 feet and put it on while it's still rolling i mean i would think you probably take the chain off run over to the blacksmith tent have him fix it and then just have it put it back on (laughs) yeah and by and by then it's it's like 10 feet closer to the blacksmith tent so it's pretty much yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, did I mention there was a blacksmith tent? Uh, there wasn't one any of the other times, but today there was a blacksmith that was like had like an old school coal set up and he had a hand crank blower and he was a, a seasoned gentleman. He did. I did see later he had a younger fellow with him, I guess, to, to run the blower. But there was a lot of just basic like uh, what I would say bar stock art wasn't anything super complicated, but, you know, it was stuff for sale. So there was a blacksmith there. Anyway, on to the deals. The very first deal I got, I was not expecting because if you remember me talking about this last time, the first guy that I run into has a whole bunch of machinist tools that are all highly curated and super pricey. Like they're not quite eBay priced, but they're expensive. Like I can't afford any of it even if I wanted to buy it for myself. But then I saw he had a table with books. And I walked up and he had magazines and stuff and they were in like, you know, like uh, vellum sleeves. And he had a 1936 Delta tool catalog for $5. That's cool. This thing looks like someone looked at it once and then never touched it again. Like it is in pristine condition. And the, the the inside, the stuff that's in the catalog is fantastic. But there's two things I want to note. The first thing is there was an insert in the tool catalog that actually displayed their new 1937 models. Because I'm guessing that they printed, you know, however many catalogs you print up for a year. And then somewhere through the year, they had their new models. So instead of just 
you know, totally getting rid of their catalogs. They just made an insert. And the insert's like a poster. Like the whole thing unfolds. It's very, very, very beautiful. But then I found in the middle, I found the original order form to send away for the tools with a payment plan and the Delta envelope that they pre-addressed for you to mail it in. And I'm like, that has got to be like the rarest thing in this bundle. Who still has envelopes to make? Like it's everything was mint. Like the envelope was crisp. Like no one had touched it. Sidebar, Tom. Tom. Yeah. I, I'm here. I, I know PJ is really excited about this. Yeah. And, and I don't know. If, I don't know if we should tell him. We probably should just let him find out for himself. But I had one of those old catalogs. Called one of the numbers, no answer. I, the I called another number, place that was still in business. They tell me they don't make them anymore. So finally, I like I fill out the card in the back, and I put it in an envelope, and I send it off. Nothing, nothing. He's going to be totally disappointed. No response. Yeah, no, the catalog just doesn't work at all. It's like the oh, worst. Man. They haven't updated them in years. I mean, it's like those websites that somebody makes, and then they just never tend to them. They're horrible. Yeah, he's not he's not going to order anything out of that and have it come in. He's going to be totally disappointed. You would think when those types of businesses go out of business, they would just like forward their mail to Santa and and he would take care of it, but I guess that didn't happen. Yeah, something. They, no, he's going to be bummed. I I maybe we should just let him find out for himself, but that those catalogs? Yeah. No, yeah, don't ruin it for him. Yeah. Don't 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 be the one that gives them the bad news. No, let, they don't they don't work. And, they just they just don't work. Yeah. Oh. There Keep he is. The he's, he's back from nope, the bathroom. PJ, I have a question. Does that envelope have a forever stamp on it? Uh, doesn't have any stamp. There's no stamp oh, on the envelope. It is. It is. It is just. You know, you guys can't see that very well. But oh yeah, just, just a little just place that says "place stamp here." Place postage. Yeah. It's got stuff on that <clears throat> side too. So the reason that I was really excited, guys, is that they're selling the Delta 14-inch bandsaws, brand new. For $43.85, I'm going to order like 25 of them. I mean, I'm going to make money like you wouldn't believe. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 Can you get me a few? Oh, yeah. Dude, I'll just throw in a couple extra on. Yeah. You want some? I'll take a dozen. I'll, t- I'll take one. I'll even pay you. I'll pay you for shipping. Ah, yeah. It, it, and not only that, you don't even have to pay in full. You can make payments. You just got to send them a deposit. Oh, man. That's great. Yeah. Get me a baker's dozen. That'd be great. Hey, no problem. I'll just add it on. So anyway, that was the first thing that I found, which I thought was really awesome because I don't have any tool catalogs. The closest thing I have is some old magazines that maybe have an advertisement. But anyway, then we move on to the next guy. He had a Starrett tap holder and a GE 220 volt switch that is, I can't even really describe it. It's a massive, massive toggle switch. And I got both of them for five bucks which I thought was a pretty good deal. The next guy had two five-inch stirrup machinist clamps, an 18-inch Stanley cast iron level, which looked pretty cool. One of those can't twist clamps Mm -hmm. that was, uh, I don't know how those things are sized, but this was about maybe five inches across. It was pretty big. And then one of those little blacksmith style, like inch and a half hand clamps. It looks looks almost like a a post vise, but it fits in your hand. Hmm. All that stuff, 35 bucks. I mean, I, th- I thought that was that was pretty good. I think that the, the Starrett clamps are worth more than that. Uh, then we get to the guy that has like 5,000 milk crates. His name is John, by the way. 
This is this is the place where I got all the goodies last time. I picked up probably the best thing from him is I picked up five last word dial indicators. And if you know what those look like, they're really, really tiny. Yeah, I need one. Thousandth thousandths indicators. Can uh, I, I got can two. I buy one from you? Yeah, you can buy one from me. Wait, tell me how much you paid and then I'll ask. Uh, I don't know because it was a bundle. Like I got a bunch of stuff and he just, th- you know, he, he went through and gave me prices, but it was like one lump sum and I couldn't write them all down. So, but anyway, I got two Starrett's, uh, two gem. Uh, one of the gems was a double indicator. So it had two dials on it. So you could see it from either side. That's nice. And then an HA low, which I've never heard of. There was that. I got a Starrett punch. After listening to Tony last week, I really want to be like a machinist. So I got six packs of carbide cutter inserts. I got some triangles, some diamonds, some squares, and I'm going to pretend I'm a machinist the next time I get a chance. You know, I just got to make a holder. Uh, I got a second Starrett tap holder, a vintage Starrett one-inch micrometer. Uh, I picked this up. There was a bunch of micrometers there, but this one had, if you look at the more like I'd say the, the the average micrometer from Starrett, there's a lock wheel like in between the handle and where the the measuring arm is coming out. There's like a little wheel to lock it in place. This didn't have that. It, it looked like it was a much older design. And I'm like, I got to get this just because it looks super old. So I got that. Um, the next thing, I'm not 100% sure if this is the correct name, but I think it was Marsh might have said sent it in to me. A Starrett hermaphrodite divider caliper. It is a normal like a like a V-shaped divider, but one end has a point and the other end has one of the sweeps outward, like you're gonna measure like the inside of something. So it mm-hmm. looks weird. It doesn't. It's not even. Each one side doesn't match the other. So I'm guessing that's where the hermaphrodite name comes from. But I'm not 100% sure if Hmm. that's it or he was just messing with me. I finally got something else that I've been trying to get for a while. I got a three-inch machinist V-block for being able to drill round stock on my drill press. And it didn't cost me an arm and leg. So that that, I want to say that was $10. And I had been to another tent and there was a guy trying to sell me a one-inch V-block for $10. So this this was a... Sizable upgrade. Got a brass head hammer, uh, 12-inch rosewood square. Uh, do you guys know those fishtail center finders that go on machinist squares? Mm-hmm. Yep. I got one of those that was just loose. And I'm like, I've always wanted one of these. So I'm going to get it. And I'll put it, probably put it on my Starrett. I've got a Starrett one. Three drill chuck keys, a Morse taper release wedge, uh, Stanley 199 and 299 utility knives. Those are the ones that have like the fleur-de-lis and the nice little patterning on them. And uh, I found out after I got them at the same time, they're two different sizes. That's why the numbers are different. They look the same, but one's like an inch shorter than the other. I got a massive 48-inch bar clamp, a third Stanley butt gauge, because apparently now I'm collecting these things. I don't know why. I I have a problem. I I need help. And I got three Rockwell half-inch shank, new old stock, rabbit router bits still with the jelly on them still in the package didn't know that router bits were made by rockwell but i got that and lastly i got a japanese made what i'm guessing is like a one pound anvil that is cute it's basically like a jeweler's anvil or a paperweight but that was what i was teasing you guys about earlier 
So that was all the stuff I got from John. Uh, I got th- that all that stuff, $185, which is roughly half of what I paid him the last time I was there. I spent almost 400 with him the last time. Hmm. That's, that's an amazing haul. That's a lot of stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I wrote this down, and now I don't know what it is. A bevel tooth block. I don't know what that is. I, whatever it was, it was a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Dollar's a good price for a bevel tooth block. Whatever it is. Oh, oh, I know what it is now because I couldn't remember when I was looking at it. Okay, so this is this is a weird thing. I don't know the actual name. So um, imagine that you have a pipe that has an interior thread. Okay, so so you have something that's like a that's an inch. That's an inch mm-hmm. of pipe that's got an, in, an interior thread. And then on top of that, you have a square block. And then you cut into the block to make uh, almost like a diamond pattern, and it makes four points. So each part of the block is like a corner, and then it cuts inward so that if you were to take something round and sit it in there, you could go either 90 degrees or 180 degrees. Yeah, either way, and you could fit something round in there, um, and it would seat. It would seat. It's it's so basically. I bought that thinking that it could be an alternative for um, a V block, um, but I have no idea what the thing is actually for. But hmm. it was a dollar, so so I got that. This was a pretty good deal. There was a guy that had a box of knobs. I got twelve different kinds of machine knobs for four dollars and then he had a prentice 4.5 inch swivel jaw vice now um the back end of the neck had a crack running down it because somebody probably used it as an anvil and he wanted a hundred bucks but i'm like come on man i gotta have that crack braised that's not good and i talked him down to 71 so that's 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 pretty decent there was no other damage that i could see and I have this exact same vice that I can't get the pin out of, but this one had, there's a, it didn't have the swivel lock like a lever. This had a spring-loaded pull-up pin for you to actually change the swivel on the bottom where the entire vice swivels. Um, But the pin for the jaw was seized, so I don't know about that. Then I went to the other guy that had knobs, and I got six more of the regular good condition knobs for $5.00. Box of hex bolts for five, a Presto light torch for ten, which I think you hook that up to acetylene and it doesn't use oxygen. It's just a single tube. I made a bad call on this. I got five John Deere V belts for twenty bucks, which I got a bargain on it because the guy wanted twenty five. But I thought they were the right size for drill presses, like for delta drill presses, but they're slightly too small. So they're brand new. I could probably resell them, but. Uh, there was another guy that had two angle grinder guards and and a handle for an angle grinder, and he gave me all three things for a buck. So that was good. Okay, then we come to my buddy Billy, and Billy has tables that have everything's a dollar or seven things for five dollars. So I got two sawhorse ends an oiler cap, like the kind that you would see going into a Delta metal cutting bandsaw, a brass bowl, two hedge cutters, and a draw knife for $5. I thought that was pretty good. 
Then he had a triangular dolly, which he said was for moving 55-gallon drums for 10 bucks, and I bought that. And I saw right next to it, but I kind of ignored, he had four all-metal rectangular dollies made out of angle iron with caster wheels. And he had them marked for 10 bucks each. And I was just talking to him. And he goes, are you interested in those dollies? And I said, mm, not really, kind of halfway. I said, I've got a lot of dollies. And I said, definitely not for 10 bucks a piece. And he goes, well, what if I just gave them to you for five bucks a piece? And I'm like, 20 bucks for all four of those? Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so instead of one dolly, I left with five. And they're all heavy duty, probably hold like a thousand pounds. And I've already put some of them into use. Uh, I got a warranted superior dovetail saw for three bucks. I got a auto scroller and a union toolbox for seven bucks. And then the last thing I got was a Dayton starter motor capacitor for a dollar, which happened to be the correct rating for a motor I have that needs a new starter capacitor. And that was it. That was that was my Jacktown fun time. If you saw any of the videos from while I was there, there was lots of stuff happening. It was a was a fun time to be be had. If you if you want a little lathe, I'm serious. Just say I'd like a little tiny bench lathe to play with, and I'll put it on a pallet and send it to you. You made me that offer last week. I don't know where it would go. Like I would have to put it in the back of my truck and it would live there. Like, I, I, li I don't even have any place to store a little lathe. Do you have a kitchen table? I'm going to take you up on that offer. When I have, like, a flat spot where a lathe could go, I will reconnect with you on that. I appreciate the offer. But it's – it's I, I literally have no place for it to go. But it's – it's uh, otherwise, I'd say yes. Um, and the only reason I told Tony that I would take his surface grinder is because I know he's not getting rid of it for years. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> So yeah, you're not getting that anyway. Don't worry about it. Probably not. Yeah. Besides, besides four other people are ahead of you in line now. <laughs> all, all four of our, all four of our other listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll find my own surface grinder. I don't know. I don't, you know, it's not a big deal. I've actually seen a couple come up for a sale, not too far from me on, on marketplace, but, and they were good deals, but I was just like, nah, I got nowhere to put them. Can't even fit a lead. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Tanda, what is your personal history with engraving? Mm, I really haven't done any, like, hand engraving. I've done lots of laser engraving, but that's, uh, that doesn't require a lot, of, uh, a lot of skill once it's actually being engraved, other than just trial and error of sticking anything and everything in the laser and seeing what happens. I mean, isn't it dangerous when you stick it in the laser? Couldn't you lose like a finger or something? Well, yeah, it, but some being something being dangerous and requiring skill, I don't think are are positively correlated. I mean, we could we could try to correlate it to do things. Well, we could, we could. I've uh, I've done a little bit of I've done leather work from the time I was pretty young, where you're carving with a you know swivel knife and beveling and stuff. I don't know if you call that engraving or not. Can you engrave mm. leather? I think you usually stamp leather, don't you? It depends on the process, but you can you can cut it. No, you can engrave, imprint it, cut mm -hmm. it, and then bevel the cuts. Yeah, but I really I really haven't done any what I would call engraving. I did a little bit in jewelry in a like a six week jewelry class as part of a vocational survey class in ninth grade, and that's probably about as close as I've come to traditional engraving and it was just a here's one approach you can take to making jewelry we may have done it for a day 
<laughs> so, no. but I, you know, I enjoy seeing people's really cool engraved artwork. I just haven't done a whole lot myself. Sidebar, Tom. Yeah. You ever get the feeling when we're listening to Tanda talk about this stuff, she kind of just drops in? Oh yeah, when I was in high school, we took a jewelry class for engraving. If you, did you ever feel like we got shorthanded for all the schooling? Oh yeah. We like, every like it's like oh yeah. Well, one time we were out welding a spaceship. I'm like I don't. They didn't do anything like that at my school. I feel like no. One time, one time my teacher was sick, and I think we watched Homeward Bound, but only half of it, not the whole movie. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Can't even get a whole movie in. That's not that's not cool. She's probably like, yeah, we watched the entire Star Wars trilogy. I don't know. I feel like I think public schools are just keeping afloat by the by the glory days and I think they're headed for something rough when when we all realize, oh, they they haven't done anything cool for several generations. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right. Well, all right. Oh, oh, she she's coming she's coming too. I think she finally got some water to drink. She's coming too. Tanda that that um I gotta say that that's. Uh, do you remember what you engraved at the school thing? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of kind of dozed off there. I had a dream about that time we were welding spaceships when I was in high school. No, we had um, the the teacher. I, it was just this survey class where we got to do a lot of different things, and it just happened that one of my teachers who taught jewelry at high school because he was I don't know he was a jeweler, and so he got this gig somehow. But uh, he was off, always off making his own stuff. So I think he just kind of used the school as his uh, as his studio, and they bought him stuff. and And he, you know, had to teach students every once in a while as a as an aside. We did mostly Native American stuff, just because it was thematic for the area I grew up in. But I learned lots of little interesting techniques for for making silver beads and doing ropes and setting stones and so forth. So it was. It was it was a cool opportunity, just because it was a random random thing that one of the teachers did. I I just realized now, Tanda, that's what I need to do. I need to get a teaching job so that I can then bring in a whole bunch of heavy machinery that I can't store here and put it at the school, and then I don't have to worry about storing it. It's a good it's a good gig. Yeah. There, I mean, the guy who does our screen printing uh, for the makerspace has his shop in the makerspace, and he has a you know he pays rent. You know, for the makerspace, but he gets a good deal because he teaches the screen printing classes there. So, yeah, it's not a not a bad gig. I got about two hundred dollars worth of silver stolen. I was making a squash blossom, had all the silver for it, and this this is how old I am. We we carried our stuff back and forth to jewelry class in check boxes. So the boxes that you get checks in. Oh yeah. They were yeah. all they're all about the same size. Yeah. And so that was the recommendation from the teacher is like keep all of your stuff, all your little findings and your silver and everything in a check box and then there's a, were places for them in the class. But you had to carry your stuff back and forth and keep it in your locker. You couldn't keep it in the class. Somebody broke into my locker, stole all my stuff. Ah, oh, that sucks. Yeah. I know who it was, but I I couldn't prove it. Anyway, that's my history. Well, Tom, do you have any depressing stories like Tanda about engraving? Oh, about engraving? No, I, I've i never done any engraving. I've scratched things into desks. I've <laughs> scratched things into walls. I've scratched things into trees, but um, usually just a letter or two. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have any experience engraving at all. Do you? Should we have done this 
pre-show and then realize like none of us know anything about engraving and we shouldn't do a show about it? Uh, well, I'd like to point out that it was Mr. Tony Rouleau's idea that we do this show on engraving. We asked him oh. what, what we should do and he's like, have you done a show on engraving? We're like, no, we haven't done that. He's like, I think you should. And we're like, oh, okay. Having any knowledge of, of our topic has never stopped us before. That's true. That's very true. Uh, the answer to your question, Tom, is yes, I have done engraving when I was a jeweler. Oh, that's right. I was a custom jeweler, and I have a set of hand gravers that I still have, and they are practically new because I didn't really engrave all that much stuff. Most of the stuff that I made didn't require engraving. But the one thing that I do remember is one Christmas, uh, my father was a sheriff's officer, and I cast a sheriff's officer star in silver, sterling silver, for him as a Christmas gift, and then I engraved the star with something. I don't remember what I put on there, like the best dad or I, I don't remember. But basically, it was a sheriff star that I engraved. And um, I it, some of the engraving was just cleaning up the casting, to, you know, because it didn't didn't wasn't as nice as I wanted. But yeah, I, I did engrave that. And uh, the same year, I also cast a sterling silver butterfly for my sister and I engraved that as well. But that was all like design engraving. It was no letters or anything. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, uh, I really I don't have a laser engraver. Um, I don't normally go around to randomly engraving trees or things like you do, Tom. And <laughs> <laughs> what, what is the process called where you undercut? You, you engrave with an undercut and then you pound a dissimilar metal into it to set it in? Is there a name for that? There might be a name. I don't know what it is. I mean, that's a really cool process. Yeah. I saw, I believe it was the, the Slavic Smith. Um, he's, he's been doing a ton of really beautiful uh, swords and daggers for, I don't know who they're for, but they're all like highly engraved and reliefed. And he did, I can't remember which one it was, but there was a handle or a guard or something he was working on where he, he basically like beat a pattern into this piece. And then once he had like this, it basically it looked like uh, if you took like a ball peen hammer, but it was like the size of a pinhead and you just beat some metal. That's what it looked like. It had this weird texture. And then he took another piece of metal, which I don't remember if it was copper or gold, but it was contrasting. And he just hammered it. Like he didn't glue it or flux it or weld it. Or he just hammered it into the texture and then he carved it. And then that was it. Like, it was done. I'm like, I, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could just make a texture and then hammer a metal in there and then it would stay and it wouldn't pop out. But he's also been doing this for years. So I'm sure there's some tricks and stuff to it. Uh, the only the thing that you're describing to me almost sounds like bezeling, where you're you're creating a lip, you put something under the lip, and then you close it on top to hold it in place. And usually you do that with kind of, but it, but this was just a, a small engraving and it, Alex Steele did it with his wedding rings and, mm. and basically he engraved into the silver and then pounded gold in or vice versa. I think it was silver and then he pounded gold in. And because it was undercut when it expanded, when you pounded it in, it's locked into place. It, it, it could still be a bezel an undercut mm. bezel. That's what it sounds like. But anyway, the point being, it's it's 
It's a technique that I'm not super familiar with. Right. I just thought you might might know the name of it because I thought it was cool and and Tom Tom probably has already googled it and and researched it. So if I did know the name like 20 years ago when I was actually a jeweler, I don't remember it now. That's my you know I've slept since then. So yeah, that's basically all my engraving experience. I'm sure that I did engrave a few other things as a jeweler, but I don't remember. It's 20 years ago. So, you know, but weirdly enough, I can't remember. I think I mentioned this when Tony was on last week. I have recently sort of been reinvigorated for engraving and I've been looking for this. This gave me a laugh. So I've been looking for uh, engravers microscopes, which is basically a microscope that's on an articulated arm so that you can put it over whatever it is that you're working on. And it just hovers in space. But typically they're like three hundred dollars. And I'm watching a couple of them on eBay, you know, just for the heck of it. And this one guy that's selling one for $295 sends me an offer with a discount. So I click on it and his discount was (laughs) (laughs) $8.70. Like that's the incentive to push me over the edge (laughs) to buy a $300 microscope. That $8.70 was holding me back, man. Thank you awesome. so much. What was I thinking? Well, you, you could say, hey, I got a discount on this. You could, it would give you bragging rights. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't, I don't think so. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you an engraver and your chisels are dull and lifeless? Well, we have just the thing for you. Chisel shizzle. Why, just a little bit of chisel shizzle rubbed onto your chisels and they will be sharp as can be. Now, I'm telling you right now, it'll make them look sharp. It'll make them shiny. It won't actually make them sharp. It's made from various plant oils. Please use in a well-ventilated area and do not ignite chisel shizzle. It should only be used for its intended purpose. Artwork that results from the use of chisel shizzle is not the responsibility of the makers of chisel shizzle. You can get a tin of it for just $10. Buy one for $20, get another one free. Johnson's Hardware is not responsible nor will they pay for pizzas ordered during chisel shizzle engraving cravings. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. It's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with engraving? And if you say crocheting, I swear to God, I'm going to smack you right in the face. Crocheting. Ow! Um, I'm going to say drawing. I feel like you have to draw your image before you can engrave it. And I'm not that good at drawing. But I think you need to be good at drawing. I think it would help. I agree. Drawing is a skill, and it goes well with engraving. Tanda, what skill goes well with engraving? I would say hammering and having a steady hand, and and possibly having a hand that hasn't been beaten or abused. Because if you were a hobo nickel carver, and occasionally you know the cops abused you and stuff for jumping trains, it might affect your your engraving. If you have been abused as a hobo nickel carver, please seek help at one eight hundred hobo nickel help. This ad was brought to you by the George Washington Bo Hughes Society of Nickel Carvers. As for me, I'm going to state the obvious. Uh, the skill that goes well with engraving is jewelry making. 
They're the ones that use it the most, right? That's what I would say. It is the shortest segment we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah, short and sweet isn't even the short and sweet. (laughs) It's time to talk about new skill sets. That's what all the cool kids are doing. New skill sets. I wanted to talk about Fusion 360 because Tom convinced me that it was a better program to use for 3D printing stuff, at least designing 3D printed stuff. I resisted for months, and then I actually gave in, and turns out that unlike my 3D software, I was using Cinema 4D, which is great for making realistic things like Spider-Man. Or transformers like that's what that program is for it's not good for making objects uh, side, side sidebar tom yeah so, i'm here uh, spider-man and transformers are aren't realistic things they're they're right. totally fictional yeah i think he means well I, I, never mind i don't want to put words in his mouth i never know what he really means mm. i think we're just gonna have to deal with it though oh well if we don't know what he means we should just let him carry on then yeah okay well back that back to like pj so Fusion 360 makes it easy to make objects. Like if you just want to make simple shapes, it, it gives you like an easy way to like measure things and put stuff together. And I am, a, I don't want to say I'm a fast learner, but I'm an apt learner. And I've been bugging the, the be, you know, the bejesus out of Tom, like every other day, like Tom, how do I do this? I wouldn't say you're a fast learner either. Yeah. It's it's put it put it to this way. I have I, I watch these videos. Uh, who's the guy that that did the the uh, the the videos? Tom uh, Lars Christensen. So Lars Christensen. I watched some of his videos, and he even tells you to like write down notes. Like this is the quick, you know, the quick way to get to this tool. And and I wrote down all these notes, and then I call up Tom today, and I'm like, how do I do this, Tom? And he's like, oh, you have to hit P for project. And I'm like, oh, they didn't cover that in the notes. He's like, no, they had Pro- to cover project. it. And then I look at my notes, project. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it is it is there in the notes. So didn't even remember I'd written it down like four days ago. So that's that's my level right there. I don't know. It's like a negative six. But I will say... <laughs> that I have prototyped more things in the last week or so than I have in, I don't know, the five months since I got the printer. Uh, I just got done. Well, I won't say I'm done. I'm still tweaking. I'm fine-tuning a cap that goes on top of a drill press column, uh, like my Delta, that doesn't have a column cap. Some, like, craftsmen have caps for some reason, but Deltas and Walker Turners, no cap. It's just like an open pipe and i don't like that you know stuff goes down in there you might get like a mouse or a bird so i figured you know you should put like a cap on there and uh, at the very least try to keep some moisture out so it doesn't rust on the inside and i would say i'm like 95 percent there like it's almost perfect um and then you know if it's once i'm done then i can sell them so i'm, I'm gonna be like tom jr <laughs> Oh, man, that makes me like Tom the Third. if I don't get something going soon. Better hurry up. Well, you'd be like uh, Tom Bellina. <laughs> I'm going to make exactly what PJ just described, but undercut him a little bit. <laughs> I'm giving him away for free. You're going to bezel it? <laughs> I, I, I just posted the STL on my website. You can just uh, download yeah. it. Man. <laughs> I to make something else now. No, that's. I think that you'll. It's one of those things that it'll take you a little while to kind of get get moving with Fusion three hundred and sixty. 
and kind of, you know, get the basics. It'll be frustrating at first, but then it'll just become, you know, something where you'll sit down and you won't be thinking about what you're designing. I mean, you won't be thinking about Fusion 360, rather. You'll be thinking about what you're designing and just going at it. And it's, yeah, it can really accelerate things. Any 3D modeling. The the thing that I'm doing right now is I'm trying to translate what I know can be done from my other program into three, Fusion 360 language. Like, I know there's things that you can do in any 3D environment. Right. I just don't know the language that Fusion 360 is using, so I'm trying to translate it. And, like, one of the things that Tom inadvertently helped me with today, I did not realize this at all. There is a... How do I say this? There's, like, a double menu system in Fusion 360. So there's, like... They don't, they don't make it very clear. Mm-hmm. So there's like a line of text at the top of the bar, and it just looks like a line of text with names. It doesn't look like tabs. And then below that, there's a bunch of images that are icons for the tools that you have. Mm-hmm. But if you click on the text, all the icons change because they're tabs. I didn't know that. None of the videos that I've seen have shown that. So now all of a sudden I'm realizing, oh, look, all the tools are hidden. I got to make sure I'm in the right tab that's not a tab. You remember those three videos from Lars that I sent you? Yes. I said, go click for click with these and do these? Yes. It was in there. It was in there. He's using a different version of Fusion. It doesn't look the same. Oh, it's very, very similar. It doesn't look the same. It's incredibly similar. It was <laughs> enough to confuse me. I'm easily confused. Leave me alone. Well, that's accurate. I think it's just that PJ PJ's an Apple user. And so anything that looks like a ribbon, that's like a Windows-ish ribbon, is, is yeah. confusing probably because it doesn't look like Apple anything. Are, are, you, are you talking about a window? Those are windows. Those aren't ribbons. Yeah. Those are, those are, those are windows on a ribbon. Uh, uh, never, never mind. Uh, <sighs> well, they're icons. That, that was it. That was my new skill. Yeah. I don't, I don't have anything else. Tanda, you said you had something. Well, I just uh, did blacksmithing for the first time at the maker's camp, and that was fun. And I may go down that rabbit hole. If I would have got that anvil, I would have certainly gone down that rabbit hole just just because I had an anvil. What was that like? It was fun, and I think it was just, I mean, it was something where I think it would be a good thing to just go do to take your mind off other things. Just, Just tend to the forge and just start banging on something and seeing what it what evolves out of it you know maybe with intention maybe not but just to just to be making something what were, what was your thought you have a lot of experiences uh with making things when you started doing that like you really hadn't shaped metal that way before is that correct um only a tiny bit i mean i had heated metal with a torch banged it around a little bit but more just to like flatten it to stick it mm-hmm, through, mm-hmm. you know, like a slotted hole or, or, or to just heat it and bend it, but not, yeah. not with like the intention of making a taper or, yeah. or cutting it to a particular length and, you know, trying to draw it out to a, to a different length. So not with, not with that kind of intention. Do you think you were able to pull from any other skill sets or did you feel like it was a very different thing that you'd never really experienced before? No, I think that there was a little bit to pull from, you know, I mean, and this is maybe a a really simplistic, but 
um, just sculpting with clay mm-hmm. and and not cutting it away, but starting with a, a mass and moving that mass into a different shape without changing the mass, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sure. rather than taking a really hard clay, like a, like a monster clay or something, and you kind of carve it away, but taking something and pushing it around. And that's how I tend to like to make things with clay is to just kind of keep pushing it into different, different shapes and using the same beginning blob of material. Sidebar, Tom. Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Did, did Tanta just say she, she has clay made from monsters? I think so. Monster clay? That's Or maybe monsters make the clay. That can't be a real thing. Oh, I'm sure. I I fact check her a lot and I've never I've never come across a problem. She's constantly telling the truth. All right, fine. It's disturbing how accurate she is. I I, I don't know what to say. All right. Uh, Did you want to ask her about it? Clarity? You, Clarify? You, you can ask her. I I don't I don't want to well, I'll blame it on the audience. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she's back. Oh, uh, she, here she, is. Here she is. Hey, Tana, what's monster clay? Uh, just for those that don't know in the audience. Oh, yeah. Monster monster clay is is clay that's been been pounded into its its eventual form by monsters. Oh, I see. Okay, that. Yeah, you can buy it. You can buy it from a lot of prop shops. Totally yeah. clears it up. Thanks. But it's what were you yeah. saying? By by monsters, do you mean like politicians? No, no. Like like ancient like brontosauri. Is that really uh, the plural of Brontosaurus? Those those are dinosaurs. Those those aren't monsters. Well, if you lived back then, you'd think they were monsters. But no one really lived back then. But <sighs> okay, all right, yeah, sure. Yeah, no monster monster clays is really cool because you can melt it and then you can like cast it, but then it you can carve it or you can warm it up and use it like clay. It's like it like changes i don't know it's like what? it's like wax and clay if you if you took the best of wax and clay and turned them into something maybe that's why it's called monster clay maybe like a wax mother and a clay father had a baby and it was a monster clay that's pretty cool yeah it's 30 bucks i guess i'll never know <laughs> yeah yeah that's way too much to to find out what it is <laughs> yeah <laughs> Just, give me like a huge, nine dollar package. Huge, and I'll huge barrier to entry. entry. <laughs> huge. Give me some. Give me like a, a silly putty amount, and I'll buy that. There you go. Just a one little egg full of it. Yeah, a monster egg, egg full of. Uh, right. The real barrier yeah, to entry good... is you're going to need a used crock pot, <laughs> and and the chances of finding that are just no. Yeah. No, I I enjoyed it, and uh, I mean I knew I would. That's why. I put it off because I knew it would like cost me yet another hobby potentially. I really enjoyed it and I I would have definitely having not done it before, I would have definitely started out with a propane forge. But now I'm thinking coal might be might be an interesting way to start out. I'm probably the least experienced here, but I'm I'm almost positive that there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Like coal is kind of like an all day thing whereas propane is like a quick thing. Isn't it? There, there are advantages. And the the biggest one I I noticed was even in the like stupid simple, you know, like half baked thing that I made, I was able to like keep the little tiny drawn out ends that had already been shaped the way I wanted out of the heat, and heat something 
really close to it uh, nearby. And so that was, that was the thing that I just didn't realize. I mean, just a cursory look, I didn't realize the potential of having this small little hot spot and something adjacent to it that was relatively speaking cool, you know, some things like that. And then just the fact that it's, it was quiet. I mean, and for what I would like to do is just to kind of go out back and, and just kind of, you know, spend an afternoon just goofing around and making stuff. The sound level of a coal forge versus a propane forge is just more relaxing. Then you're just like hearing the hammering and I don't know. It it was it was good to fall asleep to on the nights that I actually went to bed by one or two and people were still up. It was it was just kind of a cool thing to just fall asleep to. Hear hearing people hammering hammering on anvils just ding ding ding. That's exactly how I would describe plaquesmithing. It's extremely relaxing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you want to try out that new skill set. I know I do. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything to wrap up the show? Have you invented five more products? Yeah. So actually, I drew something while we were talking. <laughs> what? Um, I've been uh, obviously doing a lot of this um, inventing, thinking stuff, and it requires money to do it. Like, I I've bought so many magnets that I don't actually use because I needed to just see if they would work for what I wanted to make. So I have this habit of getting an idea. And before I do anything, I jump on Amazon, I buy four things, all are $10 each. And, and like I spent $40 on something that doesn't even exist yet. And it kind of sucks. And I just wanted to share with you that I had a, I had a moment of growth the other night where I ordered some Arduino nano boards. I ordered a pack of servos and I ordered something else. Uh, oh, capacitive rubber tips. What is that? Oh, Nano. <laughs> She's got one right there. <laughs> and can you just, uh, can I take that from you? Thank you. And like six hours go by and I'm laying in bed and I go, I'm going to cancel those orders. This is so stupid. Why am I doing this? Because it adds such a layer of stress to my life that I now have to do another thing. Like delayed. So I canceled all three, maybe four orders of things before they even shipped. And I just I just wanted to share that like I'm growing. I'm learning. It was good. You know, you know, a very similar thing that was a growing opportunity or a growth opportunity for me. I would buy electronic components. And I I often bought from DigiKey or, you know, Newark or someplace. And I would go online to buy them and I would be buying microcontrollers or I'd be buying communication chips or whatever. Whatever the chip du jour was. And I would go online and they wouldn't be very expensive. They'd be like a, maybe a buck 20 a piece or something. But if you got 10, the price dropped a fair amount. And if you got like 20 and I would be making something, I would be prototyping something. And I'd be like, I'm just going to get 20 because if I get 20 now and the shipping is like 10 bucks or five bucks or whatever it was, then that's going to go out in the wash. And then I'll just have 20 of them. And they come in, and four days later, I would change the prototype to use a different variation of the chip, (laughs) and I would have 20 of them. And I have so many, like, 10, 20-piece orders of components that I prototyped away from and just stranded them. Before you even even got them. Before I even, you you know, used them. 
like one or two. Oh, man. And it took me a long time to just tell myself, it's overnight. I could order it right now from DigiKey, literally. Like, I, I think it's still early enough. I could order it from DigiKey right now and have it in tomorrow if I wanted, or two days if I'm, you know, if it took a while. And I could order one at a time, and I'm going to be ordering more stuff. I could just be patient, put it with the order from three days from now. And so it took me a while to get over that initial, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. This, you know, whatever it is, this pneumatic pressure sensor that I'm using in this design, I'm just going to get 20 of them. And I make two variations of it. And a month later, I'm using a, you know, the dash four version of the chip or something. <laughs> then I've settled on, oh, okay, I just need, I'm going to use the 3.3 volt version. And, and I have so many orphaned parts from doing that in the past. So true. So, but short and sweet, um, if you want to just see really cool engraved stuff, if you're not already following um, Jen Bauer, Jay Bauer engraving, amazing stuff. She just did one of Cliff Dufton's hammers. It's, it's, I mean, basically turning objects into jewelry. It's amazing. She is very, very talented. I would love to have something that her hands have touched at some point in time. As for me... <sighs> I don't know. I'm tired. I don't have anything to say. It's been it's been a tiring week for me, and it's starting to get cold. I don't know. I'm bundled up. I guess the thing I'm happy about, which I did a post, I think. I think I did a post. I don't even remember. Uh, I took my my logo patch, and I sewed it onto my winter hat. So now, whenever I'm got to be warm and snuggly, I'm I'm representing the junkosphere. You know. So that's it. That's all I got. I saw that. Look sharp. Especially on the gray, is it gray hat? Yeah, yeah, the gray yeah. hat. Good, good combination. I took off the logo that was there to put my logo on there. You know, you know what I'm saying. And if you want a patch, they're still for sale. A few people have bought them, but could use some more people. You know, just, just saying. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. I'm sick and tired of this bull pocket. All right. It's been a minute since we uh, we had a little complaining rant here. Uh, I'm going to start off with this guy that I dealt with today. I'm sure you guys remember uh, a couple weeks back, I had a sale, a moving sale, where I bought a bunch of pine boards from this guy. And I sold the plywood and I sold some of the pine boards, but I've still got a big pile left. I'd say maybe 30 boards. And I've got them listed on Marketplace for 10 bucks for the eight-footers and less for the smaller ones. And this guy named Dale sends me a message and says, are these available? And I said, yes, Dale, they're available. Then he pauses and says, oh, never mind. These are expensive. And I'm like, they're half the price of going to Lowe's. You know, I mean, exactly what, what are you thinking here? Oh, I can't pay that much.
all right, well then, or he said, uh, I can't pay that much for all of them, I think is what he said. And I'm like, oh, you want all of them? Well, make me an offer. You know, I'll give you a discount. And then he's like, I'm not going to haggle over wood unless it's $25. And I said, you you want the entire pile for $25? And he said, yeah. And so I sent him a bunch of laughing head emojis. And I said, can you please tell me where you're buying wood for less than a dollar a board so that I can go there and buy wood from now on? <laughs> because you're on crack, pal. <laughs> I, I didn't say the crack part, but I think it was implied. You just said, you're on pal? Yes, that's exactly what I said. (laughs) You're on pal. There was definitely some kind of mental instability with this individual because uh, you can't can't get it. I mean, technically, I got it for less than a dollar a board, but that's because I got a deal. (laughs) Oh, oh, I had another, another gem last night. He reached out to me on... Facebook Marketplace. His name is Victor. And he was interested in the 32 Craftsman circular saws and about the same number of hand drills that I had listed for $30 each. And he said, I'm interested in these. Will you give me a discount if I buy them all? And I said, yeah, I'll give you a discount. No problem. And he goes, 15 bucks each. And I said, no. I'm not giving you a 50% discount. I'll give it, uh, how about 25 bucks each? Okay, that's a discount. And he goes, no, that doesn't work for me. And so I said, look, buddy, I'm not giving them to you for what it cost me. If you want them for 15 bucks a piece, why don't you run around all over the place and round up 32 drills and saws, and then you go sell them yourself. Have a nice day. You're so angry. Yeah. <laughs> didn't you didn't you get all of those all at once? I mean, I pay 50 cents a drill, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are we griping about? I, I think he I think he just created I I think it's uh, I think it's the same guy that you've been selling all of the uh, all of the tools to. He's just using a pseudonym now just to <laughs> Oh, Don Pedro? Oh, he's dead to me. He's dead. I don't I don't know what happened to him and I don't care. If he shows up, <clears throat> it's not Don Pedro, it's Victor. <laughs> it is Victor. I come to buy drills for Russia. Yeah. So, that's Do either of you two have anything to gripe about? Well, I think Tom was Tom had a, a recent story where he was talking about uh, the STL files. Just kind of, just kind of in general, and this, I, yeah. I, this happened to me as soon as I bought a three D printer. It was like people wanted to either buy stuff from me at the price you could get the same weight of plastic something from a store. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they, you know, it was like, well, this is just a little plastic item. I could get, you know, something that's basically this same shape and weight at Walmart for fifty cents, and you're like. Well, yeah, but this took me 10 hours to print, and it's my design, and that's made by the tens of millions. Walmart doesn't have it. And Walmart doesn't have it. You know, (laughs) you can't get it at Walmart. But it's just odd that people equate the small plastic item, low cost, because injection molding has just driven those prices to nothing. You know, but it's – and I suppose that's true of any, you know, like – you know, speaking of blacksmithing, it's like, why wouldn't this cost me the same as a bolt at Ace? 
it's the same piece of metal, and, and this bolt has a much more intricate pattern carved into it than what you're making. You know, so why is your, you know, hand-forged piece of material so expensive? Right. But for some reason, people don't make that kind of artisan, you know, design work, trial and error, you know, jump when it's something you've made with a 3D printed object. Gets no respect. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not, yeah, this is, it's just a weird thing when someone asks for the STL file. What triggered it was the other day, um, someone that I talk to regularly, and if you happen to be listening to this, you know who you are, I'm not talking about you. I even responded and said, yeah, I'm going to upload this to Thingiverse. But it made me think, like, no other uh, media, maybe, or field, or way of making things, do people ask for the file, or the, the uh, Tanda, you equated it to a recipe for a you know, for right. cooking. We were kind of having this conversation of like, what yeah. else is even close to that? And the only thing I could think of was like, you know, going over to a friend's house and you have a good dinner or something and you're like, oh man, can I have the recipe? Versus like going into a five-star restaurant restaurant and saying, can I speak to the cook? I'd like to have the recipe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I think the trick is how do I become the five-star restaurant that everyone wouldn't dare ask me for the STL file? <laughs> You need a Michelin star, Tom. Yeah, and it's weird because it's that's it's exactly right though. Like, no, I don't want to give it up right now because I just made it and I haven't like I'm personally I'm trying to monetize these things. So like I wanna make some money off of this thing before I just give it away, so to speak. Uh someone else asked me if they could buy the STL. That's definitely different, and I think I wanna do that, but again, it just it relinquishes control. And until I make a few dollars and pay myself back I, I'm kind of stuck in that mentality of like, no, I have to guard this. Um, and that's probably wrong. And I'm not, again, I'm not. Well, it, it's interesting because people you're, will continue to ask forever. So, well, and it's interesting because you're actually kind of turning this, you know, idea of producing things and coming up with new designs on its head by saying, just design it. Don't, don't try to patent it. Don't try to, to do it. And this is right. a little bit like that in that it's like, well, why wouldn't I just like put these out there and let people do them? But at the same time, you're like, you know, I am trying to monetize it and I am trying to, you know, at least get reimbursed for the material and time it takes, you know, it would cost right. somebody the same amount to use that filament and use their printer for that length of time. And so, you know, at least, you know, be self-liquidating and not just be, giving stuff away for free. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I want that initial investment back before I feel comfortable doing that. I think eventually I'll share all of that stuff, but it will be when like the algorithm loves me on Etsy and you can't touch me. You know, like that's my when you, thought. Yeah, when you type it, when you type it in, yours comes up. It's and exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I am not there yet. I, I thought it was odd. The first things I saw that were three D printed, and I remember, I think it may have been, may have been Bob, on on making it was talking about something that he ordered. Oh at, yeah, as a replacement part, and then it came in and it was three D printed, and like, yep. he was he was in this quandary of like. I'm kind of upset about it because I paid for it, but at the same time, it is what I wanted and its functions. And so it's hard yep. to be upset about it. And so it's, it's a weird, it's a weird product 
where it's like, you know, people feel like they shouldn't be paying as much for it or paying for it at all? I think because it's accessible. I think you mentioned that too. It's accessible to anybody. Like, you could just go buy a 3D printer. Now, you can't, not you know, you can't just jump on Fusion and do something complicated and, you know, as quickly as you might want a thing. You know, if you see something, you're like, oh, I need that. It, it's going to take you a few weeks, you know, and I ship faster than that. So <laughs> uh, that's, you know, there's that there's that barrier to entry, too. But it's totally accessible, um, which makes you not value it. But if you look at, like, go look for 3D printed things on Amazon, at, on Walmart.com, on Etsy. No one tells you it's 3D printed. It is now just normal, which is the way it should be. At best, no one says best, injection molded you can see toothbrush. It. Right. Yeah. 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 And if it functions the way it's supposed to function, then it shouldn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. And and it. I mean, if your prices are, you know, as good as any replacement of it, you know, if there's not an injection molded version of it, then. Right. And I suppose you could make it more complicated. You know, if you. If you had to glue it together to achieve the shape, otherwise it wouldn't mm-hmm. be, it'd be very difficult to 3D print or you put inserts in right. it or you, you know, then I think people would perceive a little more value add, but it's still, it's still tough. Right. Yeah. So it's not like a, I'm not, you know, there's a weird section to talk about this in. I'm not upset about any of that. And I have asked for STL files from people before too, because why wouldn't I want the free thing? But it's just, it's a weird dynamic uh, and I don't, that's not just the maker community. I think most of those questions come from people in niche groups that have 3d printers. Also, it's not like a maker group. It's like an RC car group and they just assume you'll share all of that information and work. Or they have a friend uh, that has a 3d printer and they just know the right, right thing to ask you to, to hand your STL off to the friend with the 3d printer to get one made or. Right. I also have some. Like, PJ, I gave you the files to print the, the drill caddy, mm-hmm. and you did an excellent job. Mm-hmm. But even that, I'm like, uh, not. N- this is more like, is he going to produce the same quality print that I produce, and is it going to represent what I am making, right? Like, that goes through my head. It has nothing to do with PJ. That has nothing to do with you. That's just like this relinquishing some level of control in that situation, Right. Obviously, it's fine. You did, you made it. It's great, <laughs> but, but like that still goes through my head. It would be like giving your injection molds off to another vendor to make, you know, to like double your production of something, and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna send this to you because your press will turn out a lot more." But then they use some inferior plastic, and then your product, you yes. see your own product in an inferior form. Right, PJ. If your settings were wrong and the thing just ripped apart when you put a drill, a drill bit in. Obviously, you wouldn't have shared that. You would have been like, Tom, I screwed something up. But <laughs> a stranger is going to be like, oh, look at these paint can hangers. I got the STL and they're crap. I'm like, well, your printer sucks. Like, there's there's some of that that goes in my head. I'm like, I can't share it because I don't know if you suck or not. Like, that's my problem. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or you bought the cheapest magnets on Amazon, and that's why it's not holding the right. cans, not because yeah. the 3D print doesn't work. But all of those magnets right. that you bought and paid $40 for and only used two, you know, if they, if they bought those, then they're going to have the same, you know, misgivings about the product 
completely unrelated right. to your file. Exactly. So it's like, oh, God. On that note, Tom, and I mentioned this to you earlier and won't mention any names, but someone that knows me knows that I printed your file and said, hey, can you send yeah. me the STL files? And I said, no, you got to buy it from Tom. <laughs> it's not my file. Yeah. What, what's, you know, I mean, you know, he's on my podcast. That's why I got it. And I said, but, you know. PJ <laughs> pays every week just putting up with Tom. Uh, it's yes. my mental health. PJ, I would have printed you one. I would have printed you one and sent it to you. I do. I I think I, I printed. Print I printed it at the highest quality. I think your it. Mine took probably twice as long as what you're printing. You know, like I did it like yeah. at the the highest standard, and then I customized it. Like the inner ring, I did in one color of of filament, and then the outer rings, which was a dark blue, and then the outer rings, I did in silk which is that really shiny, like, you know, fiber optic-y looking stuff. And then I painted the tops of them gold. Like, I had a very specific look I was going for, right. you know. And that's right, not right. something that, like, I wouldn't, like, put that on you. Like, listen, Tom, I know you're going to do it, you know, print me this thing for free. I need you to use this plastic at this setting. And <laughs> you're going to be like, nah, I'm not doing all that. <laughs> There's a twist on it, you know, like, hey, can I get your STL file? Because I want to print it on a much better printer than yours. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna print it at a resin printer, so it's really nice. So that's it. That's interesting. Somebody even said to me, it might have been Marsh. You know, I want the file. Like, I'll pay the the price f that you want for the item for the file. You know, he's like, I'll you know, if the item's ten bucks, I'll buy the file for ten bucks because I want to take it, manipulate it, and do my own thing with it. Maybe again, I'm okay with that stuff, but like, not yet. You know, like <laughs> I don't even think that's that's the right way. What about selling it with a digital download? Then you would have a way to monetize it. And you you bought one. If you buy one for ten bucks, then you get the object. If you buy one for fifteen, you get the object and a digital download. Yeah. Then you have an example. So there are people out there similar to me that don't produce anything. They just produce files, and you subscribe, and and for twenty bucks a month. You get to print and sell anything I make. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of that going on because there's a lot of people that are selling lots of stuff that don't know how to design anything. Yeah. And that's fine. There's a, there's a market for everything, right? But they know how to print because printing the printing part's easy. You know, there's a lot of that in the, not cosplay, what's the... Like pro props? Prop making? Props, replicas, and stuff like that. There's a lot of that going on there. And that's a high skill level of design uh, that I don't have yet. Mine's more of a functional, practical design level i don't know i obviously want to monetize everything i can and be fair to everybody and my channel is not going to change just because i'm monetizing things what i'm doing changes constantly like you all know that mm -hmm. like I, i'm gonna be machining for the next four weeks randomly you know like that's just how it goes but i still i do want to monetize it i do want to give you something that's good i want to give my audience something worth buying um a part of me a part of whatever and do you think you're going to move through your tool set i mean you said you were going to be machining are you going to kind of like say okay that was oh, a no, good run of 3d printing now i'm going to start yeah, making some totally. machined products and just like well, do uh, machined products for a week and then probably yeah I mean, I can see that happening. Yeah, I got to get into my CNC. I got to do my CNC. I, I have to finally do it. Um, and I have a friend that's very willing to help me. I did just mess with my laser a little bit. I printed a new shroud for the vent. And, like, the door is open right now. 
<laughs> like progress is happening and i stopped because i needed distilled water which is stupid there's progress there like i want to make things there too like i want to design you know some flat pack things that ship really cheap even like those wooden dinosaur cutouts but i want to think of a cooler thing than just a standard wooden dinosaur you know right yeah that but that was kind of my intention when i made the lamps and the uh, and the bird feeders and oh, stuff those lamps that's yeah. right so yeah yeah It'll, it's gonna be a fun journey, but you know me, I I jump around a lot. Yeah. Well, this was this was less of a rant and and less about people in our community than than just kind of weird things that happen with three D printing. You know why? Because they're great. That's true. I, it's it's amazing. Things like Maker Camp bring that home. Good yep. group of people out there. I don't know. Sorry, BJ. I wasn't at Maker Camp. Right. That's why everybody was great. Hear that? More what I came from. 